Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. You know, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of uncertainties in life. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but there are. And there are a lot of unknowns, too. And uh, we hear a lot, we hear a lot about how we need to insure ourselves against those uncertainties and those unknowns. Now, here is one of those messages. Can we play that now? I'm your phone, stuck down here between your seat and your console, playing a little hide and seek. Cold. Warmer. Warmer. Up boiling. Jackpot. And if you've got cut rate car insurance, you could be picking up these charges yourself. So get all state, where agents help keep you protected from mayhem. Like me. Mayhem is everywhere. Are you in good hands? That's the mayhem pitch man for Allstate. You know, the truth is, we do spend a lot of money insuring ourselves against those uncertainties and unknowns that I just mentioned a moment ago. And it's probably a wise thing that we do that, okay? So I'm not knocking that. But the message keeps on coming. You need cover. And the corollary to that is, are you in good hands? So what we do is we buy and we bundle and we make sure we've got the cover that we need. But the truth is, however comprehensive your array of cover is, you're still going to be confronted daily with the fact that you and I are in many ways exposed to all kinds of uncoverable risks. And in a sense, we're vulnerable to everything from natural disasters to man-made ones to self-inflicted ones. And the truth is, we really don't know what's coming. And often we can't predict it or prevent it. And in the grand scheme of things, we're only here actually on this planet what Shakespeare called this mortal coil, for a short period of time. And our life really is like a vapor. It's pretty insubstantial. This is how James puts it in his letter in the New Testament. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town, and we'll spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's a pretty sobering scripture, isn't it? But the truth is also this. However tenuous our existence is, we can also say, not only what James just said, but what David says in Psalm 31 when he says this. I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. 
and my times are in your hands. Why can we say that, though, when life often seems so arbitrary and we seem so fragile? Now, John, sometimes referred to as John the Seer or John the Divine, who penned what we refer to as the book of Revelation, gives us an answer in that book. Revelation uh, is from the Greek word, it's apocalypse, and the sense of apocalypse doesn't mean what it's become uh, known as today, which is some cataclysmic event. Rather, the word apocalypse actually means an unveiling. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's an unveiling of the person of Jesus Christ. And John writes based on a vision he received from the Spirit of God about who God is, what God is up to, and then it's as if he pulls back a curtain and unveils for us this amazing eternal drama that's unfolding in and around the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to look this morning for a principal text. It's not going to be the only one, but the principal text that what John says toward the beginning of that letter. And this is what he says. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. If you've ever wondered who the ruler of the kings of the earth is, it's Jesus. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. Look. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 8. God speaks directly and the Lord says, I am Alpha and Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega, as many of you probably already know, are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. And this phrase that Jesus uses here of himself is equivalent to the phrase first and last that we find in Revelation 1.17 and chapter 2 and verse 8. And also it's equivalent to the phrase the beginning and the end that we find in Revelation 21 verse 6 and Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. And this is also an echo of the further revelation of Isaiah who declared this in Isaiah 44 and verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. And then in Isaiah 48 verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have loved. I am he, I am the first and I am the last. 
And the prophet spoke of Yahweh as the unique creator who comes before all things and the Lord who will bring all things to fulfillment. This title speaks to us of God as the sovereign Lord over everything that takes place in the course of human history, which is why Jesus referred to himself as the king or the Lord of the kings of the earth, but also of the entire cosmos. This is the picture that's being presented to us of who God is. And it's in the context of this letter that God is saying something about himself to build up the believers to whom this letter was written about the truth that their God was and is the eternal one and to encourage them in their faith because many of them were experiencing persecution. Some of them were losing their lives for fidelity to Jesus. So that's a pretty stunning revelation that this book opens with. What is the personal and practical message for us from those words in what year are we in now? 2019. This was written a long time ago. Several thousand years ago. What is the personal and practical message for us here? Well, it's what I'm going to refer to this morning as Jesus cover. Whatever the circumstances, and hear me this morning, whatever the circumstances whatever the concerns, whatever the context of your life and mine, Jesus covers us because he declares himself to be the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come, the Almighty. And I want to unpackage that and apply it to our lives this morning so we have something to take away with us today that is directly relevant to our relationship with him and how we walk out the kingdom journey. So what does Jesus cover look like? We already know what all state cover looks like. What does Jesus cover look like? What does it say about him and what does it mean for us? Well, the first thing is this. He is the God of today. He says he is the Lord who is. And I want you to focus on those two words for a moment. The Lord who is. He's the God of today. When John wrote those words, the church, as I said, was facing pretty severe persecution. A lot of Christians were suffering at the hands of Rome, socially, politically, economically. Persecution was empire-wide. Many were losing their lives. And in the midst of that, they get a revelation from the pen of John who received it in turn from the Spirit of God, of Jesus Christ as the God of today, the God who is. Now the Apostle John, context is important. I said this last week when you're reading the Scripture. It's important to understand the context in which things that are are written because that often goes and is, is connected to the purpose for which they're written. John was a leader in the church He had a series of churches under his um, oversight uh, in Ephesus. But when he wrote these words, he wasn't in Ephesus anymore. He was on the island of Patmos. This is a small little rocky island, like 10 miles by 6. It's in the Aegean Sea. It's about 35 miles off, uh, (coughs) 
offshore from the city of Miletus and about 50 miles from Ephesus where John had previously been. And he'd been exiled to this lump of rock in the Aegean Sea. And this is what he says. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering. Let me read that again. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. So if you sign up for Jesus, you sign up for suffering, the kingdom, and patient endurance. We often don't want that, but that's what we sign up for, as John tells us right here. Was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was suffering because of his fidelity to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that got him on this lump of rock in the Aegean Sea. He was living in exile, banished from the presence of his friend, from the flock of God that Jesus had given him responsibility for in Ephesus. Because he refused to stop preaching the gospel and he refused to kowtow to Caesar in the Roman Imperial Empire. And it's to this man, exiled, isolated, and suffering for the sake of Jesus, that God gives perhaps the greatest revelation of the ascended Christ anywhere in the New Testament. We know Paul ascended to the third heaven, but he told us that he was not allowed to say much about it, right? John was allowed to say an awful lot, and he had this amazing revelation. So here he is. His circumstances are abhorrent. He's alone. He's exiled. He's banished. He's suffering. And then the Spirit of God comes, and Jesus says to him, I am Alpha and Omega, who is the Almighty. I want to focus on the word almighty for a moment. Because that's how Jesus describes himself. He says, I'm alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and end, right? But he says, I'm the almighty. That word almighty in the Greek simply means the one who holds all. The one who holds all. There is nothing that he does not hold in his hands. It speaks of his sovereign might, of his dominion over the entire created order. He makes clear, in other words, that he is the one who is now the God of today holding all things together. We're even told that in Hebrews 1.3, that he holds all things together by the word of his power. So this is what it means when he refers to himself as the Almighty, the one who holds all. And although he speaks to us in space-time language, past, present, future, because that's the only way you and I can comprehend reality. So he speaks to us in terms of space-time, past, present, future. But God himself lives, at, he's not confined by the limits of space and time. He lives outside it even though he operates within it. So therefore, everything to God is now. There is no past to God and future. He speaks in those terms so that we can understand reality and the unfolding of his redemptive plan. But God, everything to God is now. Everything to God is because he's the God of now. 
So what does that mean for us? It means this, that we have his presence, what theologians call his imminence. God is present to us in the now. But we don't only have his presence, we have his dominion. Theologians refer to that as his transcendence, that he's over all things. So in Christ, we have both the presence of God and the dominion of God. Here's John, I told you a moment ago, he's confined to the Isle of Patmos. The circumstances are bleak and barren. He's probably pretty lonely there. And then God speaks to him and says, I'm the one who is. But he did something else that was not recorded in the passage I read to you. It's a little later in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, the first part of that verse. He says, this is John's testimony. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This same God that was there for John is there for you. It means that Jesus has your present covered. Your present is covered by Jesus. He is the God who is in the present of your life. He is the sovereign Lord over everything that is now. Don't be fooled by what's going on out in the world, all the noise, all the flack, even the stuff that's going on around your life. He is is in dominion over it all. He is the Lord of now. He has your present covered. Think about that this morning. God rules supreme over every aspect of your life and mine. Whatever challenges you may be facing, whatever circumstances you have to confront, whatever enemies you may be contending with, he is present. He is, as he said, the firstborn from the dead. And it is as if, with John, he places his right hand on us and says, with loving authority, Do not be afraid. In your present circumstances, Jesus would say to you, I believe this morning, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Given that he reveals himself as the God of the now, what can our response be to that? What should it be? It should be this, that we rejoice in his presence. This is what John did on the Isle of Patmos. He says in Revelation 1 verse 10, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. And we've talked about this before. The disposition of of joy and rejoicing and worship in John's Spirit there on the Isle of Patmos when the Lord's day came around, nobody had to crank him up spiritually. He was already in the Spirit. He was already to worship God and rejoice in who God was and who God was in him and what God's plan was for his life, even though outwardly it looked awful. Even when his present reality was not a positive one, he was able to rejoice in God's presence. And the truth is, you and I can do the same thing. 
Because grace and peace, Jesus said at the beginning of this letter, is from him who is. In your daily life, the grace of Christ empowers you to live. And the peace of Christ enables you and I to be joyful even when the circumstances themselves would not give rise to joy. Isn't this what Paul told us? Yes, it is. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, he said, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That we be able to rejoice in all and any circumstance that comes down the pike. Why can we do that? Because God is present with us in it. I didn't put this in my uh, preparatory notes for today, but just the verse that just comes to me right now is that he's a very present help in time of trouble. He is present to the moment. Jesus' cover means he's with you now, whatever now looks like. His promise is clear. You know, the guy that wrote Hebrews... Whoever that was, I'm assuming it was a guy. It may not have been. All the other books were written by guys, so the odds are this probably was too. He says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That means he's always present to us. And then there's, what follows from that is this. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember what Jesus said to John when he put his hand on his shoulder. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And the writer of Hebrews says, our testimony can be with confidence because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. We therefore in confidence can say, the Lord is my helper. Whatever the present situation looks like. And we can also say, I will not be afraid. We can make a faith decision not to live in a place of fear. And he ends that passage by saying, what can man do to me? So I say this to you this morning, whatever your present looks like, and I don't know what your present looks like, but whatever it looks like, you can, through Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, rejoice with confidence because Jesus is right there with you. And as the author of Hebrews goes on to say, that Jesus, that Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a constancy to the promise of God's presence in the today, in the now, with us. That means this for you. There is never a present moment in your life where God is not present to that moment. There is never a present moment in your life where God is not present to that moment with his grace and with his peace. So John tells us he is the God of today, the God who is. But he also says he's the God of yesterday. He says, the Lord says of himself, not just who is, but who was. Is speaks to today, was speaks of yesterday. He's the God of yesterday. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the author of life. He's the creator of all things. But he is the one 
who was there before you and I were there. To use the words of Aslan in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Aslan is kind of this figuring of Christ, he says this, that Aslan was the one who understood the deep magic from before the dawn of time. He understood the deep magic from before the dawn of time. This understanding of your yesterday and my yesterday, even before that yesterday came to pass, caused God in his unconditional love, as we celebrated this morning through communion, to provide his son as a redemptive, substitutionary sacrifice for us so that we could then subsequently know his presence and the plan that he has for us in relationship with him and in his kingdom. That person was Jesus. That plan was the cross. And through his crucifixion, not only is our present dealt with, but our past is dealt with. Jesus has your past covered just as much as he has your present covered. He's the sovereign Lord, not just of what is, but of what has been. The cross of Christ and the love of God expressed in the sacrifice of Jesus has the power to set every single one of us in this room, in fact, every single person on this planet, free from guilt associated with the past, pain associated with the past, regret associated with the past, sin associated with the past, all of it. This is the deep magic that C.S. Lewis was talking about in relationship to Aslan in the lion, the, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe from the beginning of the time. The Bible tells us Jesus was what? The lamb slain from the creation of the world. How could he be a lamb slain from the creation of the world? Some versions render that from before the creation of the world. You get the picture here? This is way back before we even existed. He was already the lamb slain. He was already the God of yesterday before yesterday even came into existence. So ultimately, it doesn't matter how far back your past goes. It doesn't matter how broken and busted your past looks, how dark or desperate your past may have been. Jesus is the one who is taking care of everything that was past. And he did it through the cross. And that's why John tells us, he who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has freed us. He's dealt with that which was. And he did it through the cross. The cross is this amazing reality that defies the depths really of our ability to understand it, but I get this from Scripture that has both this uh, retroactive reality to it, it looks back, and, and it looks forward in kind of a perspective way. What Jesus did in the cross moves in every direction redemptively at the same time. It covers our present, our past, and our future. So whatever the past has looked like in your life, whatever road you have had to walk or whatever road you have chosen to walk, 
God has been there in your yesterday. And Jesus was there as the faithful witness. That's what he declares of himself here. Not only did he free you from your sin, he gave you a new life. And in the journey, he kept you. He provided for your needs. He protected you from the enemy. And he's brought you into his kingdom. He called you by name and with a purpose. And he's gifted you for service. He's been faithful to you and to me. So what can our response be to all of that regarding our past? We can rest in God's faithfulness. We just sang about that in a beautiful song by David Roos at the end of worship this morning. I will rest in your promise over me. And David goes on in the last part of that song to talk about not only God's sovereignty and his holiness, but his faithfulness. We can rest in the faithfulness of God. What he's promised. We sang that song. I will rest in your promise over me. There's a promise of faithfulness for God from God to us. So you and I do not have to live and we have no justification for living in anger or bitterness or regret or sorrow because of the past. Not only do we not have to live there, we have no justification in Christ, given what Jesus has done, to live in a place of anger, bitterness, regret, or sorrow. If we do that, we are effectively saying with our lives and our response, what you did at the cross was insufficient to free me from those things. And that is not the truth. Your past does not have to define your present or your future, and it shouldn't do in Christ because of the power, redemptive power of the cross working backward to the very beginning of creation. Because of the sustaining power of Jesus' unfailing love through the power of the cross, he has redeemed your past and mine, and the constancy of his faithfulness covers us in the present with respect to our past and it gives us the grace of a new day you know that famous passage from lamentations 3 23 it says this the steadfast love of the lord i love this the lord's love is steadfast mine goes up and down in and out it's like the steadfast of the the, the love of the lord is steadfast it doesn't waver it doesn't check out on you or me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He never ceases to be steadfast. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Every morning before your foot hits the ground, you have new mercies from God for that day. And at the end of all of that, he says, great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness is great because his love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every single morning. The last thing I want you to see is this. He's the God of tomorrow. Because every one of us has a tomorrow. Jesus says of himself, he is the Lord who is to come. 
There's a real sense in which, as I said at the beginning, tomorrow is uncertain. We don't know, really, what tomorrow is going to bring. It could mean great triumph for some of us. It could also mean great tragedy. It could mean great gain, but it might mean great loss. If you think that's not true, check out a book called The Book of Job. But you don't really even have to do that. You only have to look and think about what I said about John in the context in which he wrote these words. Banished and exiled alone on the island of Patmos. Suffering for the sake of Jesus. I'm sure he had concerns. I'm sure he thought, you know, boy, I'd love to see my family and friends again. I'd love to see the flock of God again. I don't like being here alone. I'm sure he was concerned that any day the Romans might come in and, you know, summary execution might be what would happen to him. He didn't know. And I'm sure John at times wrestled with anxious thoughts and fears of what was coming in the future. If so, though, the beautiful thing is that God spoke right into those anxieties and right into those fears, and he said, I'm Alpha and Omega, who is to come, the Almighty. Like You and I may wrestle with anxieties and fears, and I think we all do at times, and we spoke about this last week. You may look at the circumstances in your life and you may conclude right now, you know what, Mario, I have good reason to be concerned right now. Or you may conclude that, you know, I have good reason for feeling anxious right now. Perhaps you're facing serious health issues. I don't know. Would you do me a favor? Could you ask those guys out there to keep it down, please? They should either be in here or somewhere else. You may be facing serious health issues in your life, as I said a moment ago. I don't know. In a room of people this size right now, there are going to be people here dealing with probably chronic conditions of one kind or another. You may be dealing with financial concerns that are really pressing on you and causing you to want to go to a place of worry because they're real. They're not imagined. There may be relational difficulties that you're dealing with. Career challenges. Marital or family strains that are real. Maybe questions about your life, the significance of your life, the direction of your life. I could go on. I just want to say to you this morning, whatever your concerns are, about your future, Jesus has your future covered. He's the sovereign Lord over what is coming. Not just what is and what has been, but over what's coming. Whatever realities you have to face in the future, from the ones that are predictable to the ones that are unpredictable, from the ones that are easy to the ones that are really hard, from the ones that you think you can manage and the ones that like, this is completely unmanageable. 
God will be there in your future. And he will not just be there. He will be there as the way and as the one that Jesus describes himself to be, the ruler of the kings of the earth. That phrase says something about his sovereignty, his authority, and his dominion. There's never going to be a circumstance in the future that you confront that he does not have dominion over, authority over, and is not sovereign Lord over. And he will exercise that authority and power as the Almighty on your behalf to provide what you need as the plan and purpose of your life, according to him, unfolds in time. So whatever the past failures, whatever the present challenges, you and I can look to the future with confidence in Christ. That's not the message we get from the world. But that is the message from God's word about who Jesus is. We can have confidence in him. We do not have to go into the future with fear and trepidation. Because the one who is first and last is our Lord, and he is the Almighty, and he holds everything in his hands. So that means we can do this by faith. We can reach for the kingdom. We don't have to cower back. We can reach with faith and confidence for the kingdom. And you know, we've talked about this many times, the kingdom of God is essentially his rule and his reign. It's not a place. It's the rule and reign of the sovereign Lord. And I, the last time I checked, and I checked this week, Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, and this is a contemporary English version uh, rendition of this verse, Jesus said, your father wants to give you the kingdom. It, his hand, his fist is not closed to us. His hand is open. Jesus said, the Father wants to give you the kingdom. Some versions render it this way. I think the King James says, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. <laughs> and this is not just true like in an eschatological sense at the end of the age when God's going to usher in his full kingdom. Of course, that's true, and it means that. But I believe God wants us to give, wants to give to us the kingdom as we are journeying with him now in time and space on this planet. He wants his rule and reign to be made known in our lives, in the plan that he has for us, among the people that he's called to himself, in the mission that he's given to that people and empowered his people to fulfill through the presence of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give us the kingdom. You know, uh, I'm almost at an end here, but I want to go back to the Old Testament for a moment. Jeremiah, he's not a prophet whose assignment I would have wanted. Check out Jeremiah's assignment sometime. I don't have time to go into it this morning. Not one I would have wanted to sign up for. If you were insecure and wanted acceptance, you wouldn't have wanted Jeremiah's assignment. But Jeremiah brought a word of future promise to the Jews, to the Jewish exiles. So just like John was on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, suffering, 
for the cause of Christ, so the people of God Israel in the Old Testament, granted they were not alone, they were together, but they had been exiled from their land into Babylon. And Jeremiah writes to them in the form of a letter, which is what you write, and what he says resonates with what Jesus says about the Father's desire to give us the kingdom. This is the prophetic word that God's Old Testament exiled people were given that has direct application, I believe, to our lives as the New Testament redeemed people of God who have been given not only a plan and a purpose, but a destiny in Christ. And some of you will be familiar with this word. But this is the word given to Israel in exile, and it's given to us now, I believe, by application through the Spirit of God. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And many of you can quote this. For surely I know the plans I have for you, Plans. This is speaking about the future. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. That's the word of the Lord to us. Given this promise, we can have the same attitude that Paul had. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say I don't value what was behind. He says I forget what's behind and I strain, I press forward to that which is ahead. Because he knew his God was not just the God of the present and the past, but the God of the future. I just want to exhort us this morning as a people. I want to exhort you this morning to have the same attitude that John had and that Paul had. And it's this, that in the midst of uncertainty, because the truth is many of us, we really don't know, as James said, and I quoted at the beginning, we don't know what tomorrow brings. Steve, I hope you don't mind. I didn't ask permission to share this. Can I share what we were talking about before the service? Sorry to just spring that on you. Is it okay? Thank you, bro. Uh, we were just talking before the service, and Steve told me that today is two, two years since you lost your wife, right? And we, he was just talking about you know, how God has met him in that time from then to now, and and how this day is going to be, and what this day means to him, and how deeply this particular day resonates with him, and how he can remember the moment um, that his wife passed away. And, uh, and we were just talking about that, and um, he was sharing some, some wonderful things with me about that. He did not know that that was going to happen. We, do, we don't know what the future is going to bring. But my point this morning is not that we have to live in a state of anxiety and fear and about that uncertainty, but that we can actually have confidence 
even though we don't know what tomorrow brings. Because our God is the God of tomorrow. We have a world that just projects at us all the time that we have to fear the unknown. We have to fear the uncertain. We have to do everything we can to shelter ourselves from those potential unknowns. What we really need to do is root our fear, uh, root our faith rather, in the person of Jesus. Jesus has your future covered too. So I say this to you this morning, don't hold back. Don't hold back because of fear of the unknown. Don't hold back because you doubt your capacity to run the race in whatever way it is that God wants you to run it. Don't hold back because you're insecure that you may not be able to pay the price that God wants you to pay. And let me just say this parenthetically, there's a price to pay for following Jesus. But there's the God who promises us that he has plans for each one of us. And those plans are for our welfare, for our blessing, for our benefit. They're not to harm us. And they're to give us future with hope. So, you are in good hands this morning. And it's not, it, it's not all state. I mean, if anybody works for them, great. Good company. But the next time you see that commercial, say to yourself, in your heart anyway, I'm in good hands. I'm in good hands. You're in good hands. Yeah, there's mayhem out there. But you're in good hands. And those hands are the hands of Jesus, the one who said, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. It's these are the hands that you're in. I've covered your past, your present, and your future. This is my promise of grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Which means you and I can live our life, life and rejoice in the presence of God, rest in his faithfulness, and reach for his kingdom because we know we always will have what we have right now, which is Jesus' cover. The cross made that possible. And the Holy Spirit's made it real to each one of us. Because we've received him, that one that John wrote about, into our heart, into our spirit. And we will forever be with him. Amen. 